This is the Not Having That Podcast with your host, Harry Watts. So lie down, relax, and let the sports commence. Hello and welcome to the Not Having That Podcast with myself, Harry Watts. I hope you're all enjoying this fine week of weather in the UK. Uh, Firstly, I want to say thank you to anyone that has supported last week's episode, which looked at racial stereotypes in sport. I put on my Twitter that it was the most important episode that we've done so far, covering some really important issues. So it's been great to see just how well it's been received. If you haven't done so already, please listen to that episode once this one is finished and let us know what you think. This week's guest is someone I played junior rugby with for over 10 years, and I'd regard him as one of the biggest sports fans that I know. This week's Not Having That Podcast guest is Ollie Lathrop. Ollie, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Pleased to be on. I've uh, had a look back at some of the stuff you've done so far. It sounds quite interesting. So, um, yeah, looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, I think we've got, yeah, stumbled across a bit of a niche here. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what you've uh, got to say today. Well, it just be like old times, Harry, you know. Yeah. Touchline watching... When we were on the bench for St. Mary's under 11s. Yeah, exactly. Running the running the roost on what's going on in the game. So I'm looking forward to it. And the parents would roll their eyes to see, oh, look at those who they're commentating on the game again. Well, it'd been usually after we'd been like taken off for like poor performance or something. We'd be like, <laughs> yeah, shanks at half time. Yeah, Gary's not happy. He's taken us off. <laughs> Lovely job. He th- yeah, threatened to, threaten to take us home. We're like, no, we're calling the game off. You unless you lock your ideas up. At that point, we were off the pitch. So the opinion that you're going to be discussing today, is it one that you, you share quite frequently? I wouldn't say I I do, mate. Um, it's something I've sort of thought in the back of my mind for a year or so in terms of how rugby can change. There's obviously a lot of talk about it at the minute with should uh, rugby ch- change to a summer season, global calendar, salary cap, promotion, relegation, ring fencing. And it sort of all comes into one idea almost to try and sort of please those different aspects I think and but no I wouldn't it's not something I like share with loads of people and tell tell lots of people about because you know there's lots of opinions out there already on this kind of thing so you know you, you're never going to get it perfect I don't think yeah so this is your chance mate do you want to tell the not having that podcast listeners what your unpopular opinion is so it's a two tier premiership Gallagher premiership with 10 teams in each so um, the current top 10 this season as it is right now obviously that could change and then the the rest of the teams in the premiership and then the teams in the championship so if you were looking at it right now you'd have in the top tier you'd have Exeter Sale Bristol Northampton Wasps Bath Harlequins London Irish Gloucester and Worcester and then in the second tier you would have Leicester Saracens, Newcastle, Ealing, Cornish Pirates, Coventry, Amps Hill, Nottingham, Jersey, and Bedford. And basically the idea is is to is to keep in certain aspects of the premiership, which I like relegation, but also give the stability at the bottom of the second tier of ring fencing. So you still allow clubs like Bedford and Coventry and Ealing who would be cut off under a 13-team ring fencing in a one-division premiership and still give them that chance to get promoted. And then you leave that promotion and relegation in between the two divisions. So you still have that excitement about who's going to go up and down every season. Um, and one of the key arguments, I suppose, would be player welfare. You would only play 18 games in a league season compared to 22, as you do now. There's obviously European stuff on top of that. And then 
alongside that, I would bring in a, a knockout competition between the divisions. You could potentially even go further down the ladder and sort of have the premiership teams getting a buy through to the fifth round. So there's not too much of a mismatch. Um, that's basically the the basis of the idea as such. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I'm going to give that, I can think I'm going to give it an eight out of 10 on the control C scale uh, because splitting up the league would be, yeah, quite a dramatic restructure. I was having a look back to the various developments that have taken place in the premiership over the years. And I think the last kind of major one was in 2005, 2006, when the playoff system was revamped. Um, but even so, that doesn't compare to the proposition that you're, um, that you're, uh, you're giving today. And I think that would uh, yeah, definitely eclipse it. So we'll uh, get stuck into it. Yeah, was there a certain moment where you realised, well, yeah, this is this proposal is something which is realistic and is something that I think should happen? I wouldn't say there's a moment. I would say over the last, maybe over the last year, you sort of look at all the fallout and all the discussion about ring fencing, and then COVID nineteen has obviously brought that to the fore a bit more, and salary cap and trying to please the thirteen Premier Rugby stakeholders but also give the opportunity to the likes of Cornish Pirates, for example, who are on a, who want to build a new stadium mm. and under ring fencing, they'll be completely cut off from that. And I, my concern was, how do you encourage those smaller clubs to want to become bigger and better? And by just cutting them off, mm. I just don't think that's the way to go about it. But you do also want that stability to a certain extent. And that's why you have the two divisions, I think. So it kind of is trying to please all different stakeholders mm. Um, but no, I wouldn't say it's sort of a, a trigger like this ha- needs to happen now. I think it's just a series of things and you know about this yourself that there's so much talk in rugby union about how we're going to get things right c- compared to international rugby and club rugby. And it's a bit of a minefield really. So it, it's trying to please everyone. Obviously, it is a radical restructure, as you said. Um, do I think this is going to happen? Absolutely no way. But, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, interesting idea and it's something different um you've mentioned uh, earlier that on social media people have got yeah very quick to give opinions uh but yeah especially on ring fencing and yeah as you said the salary cap and yeah similar like restructures but do you know yeah have you seen anyone that was, has a similar idea to you in that like in terms of splitting up the premiership i might be wrong on this but i'm pretty sure alistair eakin the bt sport commentator he hasn't particularly said um, like how you would do it. But I'm sure he put a tweet out once saying something about splitting up the premiership in divisions. I could be wrong on that, but that's who I've got in my head of who's, who said something similar. Um, but it's not like a common thought opinion, I don't think. It's not like there's not a load of clamour for it on Twitter as such. Yeah, so my initial thoughts on on the proposal are that I think, yeah, I think there will be some sort of change to the premiership. I think a 13-team ring fencing, which you mentioned, I think that is looking quite likely. But I think initially um, that splitting up the league is a little bit unnecessary and a little bit, well, you said it's quite unrealistic, it is quite far-fetched. But um, yeah, I think initially that there are some other ways in which there you can, I know, achieve some of the goals and objectives that are set out in terms of pleasing people. Um, without splitting up the league, but you'll have a fair hearing to uh, commit to why I'm wrong. Um, so 
in terms of one of the uh, one of the points that I've got in my head and in regards to player welfare, I suppose, is what sort of knock-on effect do you think this sort of splitting up of the league and less fixtures could have on the um, on the standard of rugby? Well, I think, you know, there's a lot, even at the moment, there's a big debate going on about what's going to happen in the October calendar, right? How's the Premiership going to finish? England want to play matches in October, but the Premiership want to play their final at the end of October. And that's all due to the fact we're trying to cram in loads of games. And I think at the minute we're going to get to the stage where if you play for, if you're Owen Farrell, for example, for England, you play if you play every league game, which you probably aren't going to because you're going to miss, miss games for England, but you're looking at a 30, 35 game season with European mm-hmm. rugby, maybe 40 if there's knockouts, a summer tour. And just by bringing it down by four games, it just changes things a little bit as well. And it does allow to perhaps have more of a rest during those international periods so the bigger names can be back. And obviously their uh, load does have to be managed. But I think just those four games, and plus you're going to have the cup competition as well and Europe. So I think it does, it allows players that extra week off. I know this season we had the three-week break in February, which was I think the second time we've seen that. So that started last season. So you could just have an extra week off every here or there and you know, with a knockout competition as well, you might go out in the first round. So you might have a couple less games there. I do understand the argument that clubs need to build up their money and they need those home games. So there is an argument against it, I suppose, because, you know, clubs rely on the 14 guaranteed home games they're going to get every year. So you're not, obviously might not get that with this, but I think there's, there's bigger things at issue here. And, you know, there's been lots written and said about concussion and injuries and, tackle height and can we improve that that's where I'm coming from from that angle it, it's just four less games and and I think it could improve the quality um, going forward you think there could be a potential quite big disparity in terms of the quality in between the two divisions because I can kind of see whilst it would be a two-tier premiership if I don't know the best players from like Ealing and, and the ambitious championship clubs still want to play at the top level I still think they'll want to go to the top tier of the premiership. So there could still be quite a big disparity between the, I know it's, as you said, it's a, pre, it's a two tier premiership, but there could be quite a big disparity in, yeah, in terms of the standard of rugby. What, what do you think? I agree with you to an extent there, but if you, if you look at the championship at the minute, it is very much the team that comes down from the premiership, goes straight back up and they romp the league. You've had Newcastle this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Bristol did it the last time they were down, although it took a long time because of the playoffs. But when they went down and went back up again, they did it in one season. And I think one of the arguments for this is that on my on my sort of structure as I've got it for how it would look next season, if we were to start next season, you've got Newcastle, Saracens and Leicester. So that suddenly becomes a really interesting promotion race at the top of the mm-hmm. at the top of the second division because next season, Leicester or Saracens or Newcastle at least two of them aren't going to be going up if you only do a one up, one down. I suppose you could maybe do a two up, mm-hmm. two down or a playoff between second top and second bottom in the uh, first and second division. So I think I get your point. Of course, that is going to be the case. But if you ring fence that second bottom tier, it allows the likes of Bedford and Jersey to have a couple of years. And if we see that improvement from them, then let's give them a couple more years. If they're not cutting it, if they haven't got the money and there's someone else below this who's really pushing to get into that second division then let's give them a chance so I think it can promote those teams to not just sit there in the championship because I think that does happen a lot because of what happened to London Welsh 
a lot of teams are almost scared to go up because they know they're going to have to spend money when they do go up. And it just creates a real disparity once they are in the premiership. And there are a lot of clubs in the championship now who couldn't even get promoted. I think Newcastle, Ealing, um, there won't be, I'm not sure exactly how many clubs would have been eligible had they won the championship this year, but it's no more than three or four. Mm. Yeah, um, one of the another point which I think a lot of people that are pro ring fencing is in a thirteen team premiership. Um, they they argue that if you remove the the threat of relegation, then you could see slightly more expansive rugby because I know in some of the the lower end clashes you get you can get I know teams playing percentage rugby and just because they're scared that if they try to play ambitiously, then they could be picked off and they could end up losing and therefore going down. I think Bristol kind of broke the mould with that last season with the style of rugby that they played. Um, so do you think that there could be the argument for just having one premiership and just ring fencing that, that you could see a better standard of rugby and I know more ambitious rugby taking place? Oh, well, yeah, I've, that's that's absolutely the case. You know, I don't think there's any clear argument against that. If there's no threat of relegation, teams are going to give their younger players an opportunity. But it's it's not just about that, I don't think. It's about promoting a game where there's opportunity for various different clubs and just having the polarised same few at the top every year just doesn't make for exciting rugby. I know for me personally, just watching, obviously it's all gone a bit, it's all sort of, well, what word am I looking for here? For Saracens, for example, they won it every year. Obviously there's now a cloud over that, but watching Saracens win everything every year is not particularly exciting. And, you know, obviously there are other clubs in the premiership who, who can usurp them, but I'm not a massive fan of stopping the opportunity because where would we see Exeter from 10 years ago when they beat Bristol in the in the playoff final? If there was a ring fence, that wouldn't have happened. So we need to promote the game and grow the game. And now Exeter, whereas in the past, all the young players used to go and play for Bristol and Gloucester and Bath, they go and play for Exeter now because they're the, the driving force. So it gives it gives these other clubs an opportunity and it keeps the top clubs on their toes. You can see what happens when you don't keep building. Look at Leicester the last couple of seasons, they've been terrible. And, you know, they're lucky not to go down this year, really, only because of Saracens. So I think it just keeps clubs on their toes, but it does provide the security at the bottom of the second division where, okay, if you have a bad season in that division, you're not going to fall out completely. But I do take your point that I don't think there's any argument that teams would play more expansive rugby if they didn't have the threat of relegation. Yeah, um, I think you've mentioned, so, yeah, the majority of the ambitious championship clubs that, yeah, that are looking to get promoted and, yeah, with Cornish Pirates is a potential new stadium and, and Ealing, they've made numerous new transfers in, in recent weeks and they've kind of shown their, shown their intent. Um, how do you think this would, this, this would like impact those clubs, but also some of the clubs that might find themselves in your, uh, towards probably towards the bottom of your second premiership that maybe given the cuts uh, that were announced a few months ago to the championship, who might be, I know, thinking of going semi-professional, how do you think it could impact them as well? Well, there would, there would have to be some kind of financial support towards them. I don't think they could be expected to play against professional sides week in, week out. Whether that's possible in the current climate, I don't know. Uh, we've seen even the top premiership clubs trying to force pay cuts through in the last couple of weeks. So I take, completely take your point in there. Whether that comes from the RFU or whether it comes from premiership rugby, I don't know. But it would you would certainly have to help them out because there's no way that, for example, we're just taking it from this league, Jersey could could be expected to beat Saracens, Newcastle and Leicester all throughout a season and have a chance of competing. It just wouldn't happen. Um, I suppose the argument would be that I would make for the in the long run is that 
in two or three seasons down the line because they've had the opportunity to play against the quality week in, week out. They would then be better prepared to form a challenge in 2023, 24, for example. Uh, you only look if you take World Cups for an example, for an example, Japan 20 years ago were sort of no hopers, really, like get thrashed nearly every game, and now they're World Cup quarter finalists beaten uh Ireland, Scotland, this World Cup in South Africa in 2015. So I think that's the argument for it, just because you are giving them that chance by no relegation at the bottom. And if it comes three, four years and they're still finishing bottom every year and you they're not really showing any sign of improvement and you've got a team knocking on the door in the third division, you say, you know, you have a go because we can see you've got that ambition there. Do you think um, for clubs like maybe Jersey and Nottingham and Amps Hill, do you think they have that ambition if it was if they had the f- the funding and the means to do so? Do you think they, they have the ambition to want to go up to the premiership? Quite quite possibly not. But quite possibly not, because yeah. at the minute, the way they look at it, they they probably think, well, we ain't gonna go up. We don't we can't spend that kind of money. I think to change their ambition, you would have to change the system because the way the system works at the minute, there isn't much point in them going up and they wouldn't even be able to get up anyway. So th- this is possibly an idea that would have to come to fruition two, three, four years down the line where you change the in, the internal structure of the league, which allows clubs to feel like they're better served by trying to, to go up. Because, for example, next season, Saracens have obviously been relegated because of their salary cap issues. You know, I know they've sent a few players out on loan, but they'll still have their internationals who might or might not play. But they're going to walk that league next year. Ealing might take a game off them, but you're looking at 22 Saracens wins out of 22. So what incentive is there for a, for a Jersey or a Nottingham to really go and spend loads of money? And then when you said about sort of, do they really want to get promoted? If they don't, let's find someone who does. Yeah. Would there be a quota that you'd be looking for from like the third tier or just clubs that are clearly, I don't know whether that's through infrastructure or player signings or just performance. You're just thinking, yeah, you know what, you, you're showing what it takes to, to get into the second tier. I think you would need to see a sustained period of success over two or three seasons, not just a, the odd fluke, mm-hmm. sort of Leicester City-esque. Um, you would need to see they've got the infrastructure there. Have they got an amount of money behind them? Could they afford to pay their players properly? Like You don't want situations like you've got in the championship now when players are earning shocking money. Um, mm-hmm. And you would want to see, whether it's a stadium, I don't know. Like a lot of some of these clubs, Nottingham, Jersey, you know, they don't have, they just have sort of rails around, the, yes. around their ground. Club ground, te- isn't it really? Yeah, exactly, in a temporary stand. So you would want to see that ambition there. And I suppose the concern would be is that is there 20 clubs that have that ambition to do that at the moment in English rugby? Arguably not. Arguably there's 15 with sort of Ealing in Pirates. Yeah, I'd agree. And, uh, and then Coventry, maybe, who are sort of on their way back. But there probably isn't that ambition there at the minute. But, but you, would, you would hope that this would start to bring that around if they knew there was an opportunity, rather than playing one big side a year in Newcastle this year, Jersey, if they knew they were playing Newcastle, Saracens and Leicester, that just, the money they just increased by just fans turning up and watching the game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think... I think that's where I'd hope it would go. You know, if anything that we've seen in rugby in the last couple of years, so I, don't think there's, I don't think there's any way of possibly predicting how things are going to go, but that would be my hope. 
Um, Steve Lansdowne went on to um, Five Lives of Union Weekly podcast a few weeks ago, and he was saying that he's, as Bristol have made it public, they're in favour of ring fencing, but kind of like a soft ring fencing, whereby if you had a team at the bottom of the 13-team uh, ring fenced uh, premiership, um, then they would look to, I don't know, after three years, um, bring in, I don't know, whoever's performing the best in the, in the championship. Um, can you, obviously the proposal that you're, you're having there with, I don't know, a, kind of like a soft ring fencing at the bottom of the second division and then the teams that are performing best in the third tier, if that's that one or whatever it's called. What do you see as like the differences there? Because I think what Lansdowne was proposing was quite a good idea that you'd have the 13, the 13 PRL teams, but if you're not performing and you're showing no ambition to try and, I don't know, strive to progress and, and build as a club, then if you've got Ealing that have been top of the championship for three years, then they get their go. Um, do you think that's a that's a more I don't know, realistic way or what do you see as the benefits or disadvantages of that one? Well, I think that's the way that we're going to see ultimately. Um, that is mm. what's going to happen a couple of years down the line. But I, w- I would argue that Ealing are probably ready, are not far away from being ready now. Mm-hmm. You know, do we really need to see them win the championship three years in a row? They've been second the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I know from the year, the year that Bristol were down there, they ran them close a couple of times and could have easily beaten Bristol twice. So I get that argument. And my concern would be that once you had the 13 premiership clubs in the top 13, they were sort of shut up shop and they're all the stakeholders at the end of the day. So you need a certain majority to vote for stuff to, for it to go through. So that would be my concern is that, you know, 13 clubs, they all get together and they're like, oh, you know, we don't want to, sort of upset anything and even if yeah. Eden are doing really well you would need to get a certain majority to vote someone else out of the league and I think there's a little bit of vested interest there and I get where Steve Landown's, Lansdowne's coming from and I think this is the way we're going to see ultimately that seems to be the way we're going but I, I just don't think it's fair to penalise the clubs that are almost there but of course there's no perfect way of going about this because as we said just now there's probably only Ealing and Pirates on top of the 13 PRL clubs that are close to, to being ready to make that transition. So it's a really difficult balancing act. So, so it, it's a really tricky conversation. I've just tried to think of it of, right, we can still have relegation. We can still pro- provide security to clubs and we can promote competition from below and within that second tier as well. And then obviously you've still got the top tier where, where most of the attention will be. I'm sure the TV will TV companies will show most of their games. You can still have the big showpiece final at Twickenham and perhaps you could look at if you did want to have a two up, two down, whether, for example, on my list, Gloucester who were ninth in the premiership and Saracens who would be second in the second division if that's how we were doing it this season, whether they could play off against each other to add an extra game in just before the premiership final, something something like that to still promote the extra excitement of finals that, uh, they obviously bring like in Super League, I suppose. Yes, yes. Well, that Super League slightly changed a little bit, um, whereas now it's just one up, one down. And I think personally, that's my preference to have one up, one down. Ultimately, because um, the problem with a, a one-off game is that it doesn't allow you to prepare with any great security ahead of a new season. We saw it for Bristol for many years. You know, no one wants to sign for you if you've got four games of playoffs to go through first and foremost so that probably wouldn't be my preferred option but it does bring amazing games uh, Super League for example Salford played Hull KR a few years ago and Salford scored two tries in the last 
three minutes to stay up and then kicked a drop goal in extra time. It was the most unbelievable game of, of rugby league you're going to see. So there are arguments for and against that sort of very situation. Yeah, um, we've touched on the, the championship clubs. Uh, where do you think this this proposal would leave the 13 uh, PRL clubs? So that's the, obviously the 12 in the Premiership and, and Newcastle as well, uh, particularly financially. So I think, well, to start off on a positive note, I think that if this this top tier with the, the top 10 teams, I think if that was marketed well, um, I think you could see a much more financially viable and marketable product. What do you think? This is a tricky one because financially, the, t- the three teams in the second division who are currently P- PRL stakeholders, they're going to be disadvantaged from it. That's why I don't think they'd ever vote this through because they wouldn't want three of them being in that second division. So whether you would need to um, sort of whatever revenue is taken across both divisions, 50% of that is automatically split between all all 20 clubs and then the rest is based on performance and perhaps you get a little bit more for going in that top division. Well, I suppose my argument again would be get in the top division, buy the players to get into the top division, then you'll get the extra exposure that comes with that, whether it's more games on TV, uh, more money. And when Premiership Rugby is selling the TV packages, you sell them together. So if BT or Amazon wanted to show the competition, they would be obliged to show so many games from the second division as well. And they would have to, like the Premiership football, they'd have to show everyone so many times in the season. You couldn't just see uh, Exeter every week or Northampton every week. They would have to show Jersey three times a season, for example. So you kind of, you force their hand a little bit on that front. Um, But it's certainly a disadvantage for, say, Leicester, Sarances and Newcastle, how it would be this season to be in the the second division. Uh, we were mentioning it when we were first talking about this, um, about your proposal. And you mentioned that in terms of like marketing the premiership, how you take inspiration from some uh, US sports. Do you want to talk about that? Because I think it's quite an interesting point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, you look at NFL Game Pass, where you pay, say, I think it's 150 quid. And it doesn't matter what channel the the games are on, you can just watch it all on there. Now, this is probably part of a wider discussion outside of England as well, about how rugby could market itself and sort of try and change its perception. But if you could pay a similar amount of money for uh, to watch every game of rugby, I know rugby passed do something similar, but I think it could be better than that. And you watch all your games on there. I think that's one way of doing it. Another one is behind the scenes documentaries. You know, we've seen so much... The Lions ones are great. 1997 South Africa one is brilliant. It's the best, probably the best sports documentaries I've watched. You know, every season on Amazon, they let NFL teams at Amazon in to film their entire season. So I think that kind of stuff could be done as well. You know, and it, it really does market the game to different people who might not understand it. For example, you know, some of the sports documentaries I've watched on, on Amazon and the basketball one as well on Netflix, you know, it, you kind of watch stuff about sports you don't particularly care about. Like I don't really watch basketball. I don't particularly like it, but the sports documentary sort of shows the human side as well. And then you've got stuff like um, video game. Rugby is a good video game. I, I, bought rugby, I bought rugby 20. It was terrible. Mm. Um, and then even further on, you know, salary cap, we should publish everyone's wages. So we all know what the salary cap is if an NFL team makes a sign in, it's on their Twitter, how much they've signed for and how long it is. And it's public, it's very easy to find out 
how everyone is up against the cap. And that just removes any issues you have with the cap then. Because if someone's over, it's really easy to see um, what else have I got on American stuff. And then potentially a draft. But I think, you know, the way our, that's sort of entrenched in their college system. So I'm not sure that would necessarily work over here. But, you know, if, if we really wanted to revamp rugby, then that would be another thing you could do. Why do you think there's been a reluctance in from rugby for well, it's, for as long as it's been professional to kind of I don't know take take little bits from American sports leagues and bring it in because behind the scenes documentaries you've seen them uh, in football there's been a few of them there's that all or nothing Manchester City one Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix has had two series and even cricket with the test that's on Amazon there are other sports are well the mainstream ones in the UK are showing that they're willing to take some of the particular marketing points from American sports. Why do you think that rugby is kind of, I don't know, it's been reluctant to do that. I think it's, it's quite strange. I'm not sure I have the answer for it. Well, I think first and foremost is that Amazon aren't going to, well, I don't know. I know Northampton are on about doing a behind the scenes documentary, so it could change, but Amazon and Netflix aren't going to come to rugby. Amazon wet, might go to Man City because, you know, they're one of the biggest clubs in England it's the biggest football's the biggest sport in the UK. So these companies are going to come to us. Rugby needs to be more proactive in how it does things because Netflix aren't going to go to the RFU. Well, they might do, but it's pretty unlikely and say, we want this documentary. Uh, can we come and film it? It might take the RFU to film their own documentary and then send it to Netflix. And they'll say, you know what, we can do something a bit better for this, but we like what your idea is. And I think rugby isn't proactive enough in trying to promote the interests of the game. And I think, some of that's the RFU's fault to a certain extent. If we talk about England specifically, you know, just selling Twickenham out six times a year, 80,000 feeds their coffers and their monies for a year. And that's great. But, you know, people watching those games, as many people watching those games as they could be, they might be watching the Six Nations games probably because it's on terrestrial TV. But are people really engaging in rugby how they could be? And I think it takes those at the top to be more proactive rather than just resting on their laurels because. You, you look at the, the, where rugby is in the sporting sort of sphere in the UK and it's, I don't know how, where it ranks, but it's so far behind football. You could possibly argue that it, in the winter, it's second fiddle to football before other sports, say cricket, tennis and boxing kick in, but it does need to do more. And I think the, the crisis we've had is sort of highlighted that with everything that's happened with coronavirus. So it's going to take those working within the game to be proactive to change that I think yeah I think as well the sort of documentaries and the highlighting highlighting the human aspects of sport is something which can really help to grow sports I think I know I'd love to know the amount of people that are certainly going to start following basketball after watching The Last Dance on Netflix and I think if that sort of documentary series happened to I know some of the championship clubs I think who knows what their fan base could look like I mean some some people like in I know for example in Nottingham the forest are I've no doubt I've got a much, much bigger following than than the rugby team do. So I know it, it would have been interesting if this sort of thing had been happening, a documentary type series a few years ago and how that could have impacted the status and the, the fan, I don't know, the fan attraction for some of these clubs that a two-tier premiership like, might not seem as drastic as the proposal that you're, you're given today. I just think within rugby, there's a, there's a sort of, sort of scared of change a little bit and all, you know, let's not upset where the way things are sort Mm. of jobs for the boys, that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, I do think rugby is a little bit like that. Another thing is like fantasy, fantasy Premier League is huge. Fantasy NFL is huge. I play both. They like add their own fantasy Twitter accounts and 
they have like podcasts just on fantasy, like rugby, the rugby magazine do a premiership fantasy and it's very good. Don't get me wrong, mm. but you know, could Gallagher premiership be doing their one of them doing one of them and really making a big deal out of it. You know, that's how I got into NFL was doing that. My mate said, you want to do this fantasy? I said, yeah, I'll do it, but I'll be rubbish at it. And then two or three years down the line, you're still playing it and you understand the players more and you're watching, mm. certainly watch a game every week. So I think that's another thing you can do as well. But I think unfortunately rugby is too keen to just rest, rest on its laurels. Even with this summer sports stuff, you, you know, I, I don't have a massive opinion on whether we should go to summer or winter, but as soon as there's any change, you see a lot of the, mm. a lot of people batting down the hashes and go, Oh no, we can't do that. Oh no, we don't want to change that. It's going to go completely wrong. And how do we know? We yeah. don't know if we don't try it. I found it really interesting. Like that, I saw one of the one of the Telegraph journalists was giving uh, his reasons why it shouldn't become a summer sport. And one of the points was it would clash with holidays, as in people going on holiday. And I just thought that's just, I don't know, it's just quite rugby to think that yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't go to a summer sport because people are going to go on. They're going to go to Cornwall or Devon for a weekend and they're going to miss a game. I just think I know a lot of people within rugby are quite narrow-minded and are, are reluctant to change. I think we have to accept as well that football has such a monopoly on people and sport in this country that, okay, we might be second sport. Okay. We're second sport to football in the winter. Everyone knows that. And we might have to jostle for attention from cricket in the summer and uh, rugby league or whatever else, tennis, Wimbledon, for example, but none of them have the level that football does the attention that football yeah, does. So it's more of a level playing field. And if you're playing your final it, the end of September, early October, which I suppose where the Premiership final would be if we went to a, a global calendar. There aren't many finals being played then. You know, the football season started, but it's only early in the season. So you, you might have more people watching those finals than you might do in May. For example, the Premiership final most years seems to fall on the same day as the Champions League final and the Championship yeah. playoff final. Like, how can that be a good mm. thing for rugby when the biggest game of football in Europe is on the same day as our final? I like, will watch it, but yeah, you know, most other people might think, oh, I only got a couple of hours to watch sports today. Barcelona are playing Liverpool in the Champions League final. I'm going to watch that. They're not going to watch Exeter against Northampton in the Premiership final, whoever that is. So I just think there is a reluctance to change in rugby. And you know, perhaps this two-division Premiership goes a bit too far. I, I think, you know, it, it, it could work. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think on the whole, there's certainly a wider discussion to have about, about what rugby needs to do from, to improve its, the attention on it and get more people playing. Cause ultimately that's what you want. You want more young kids playing the game and a better England team down the line. This is the not having that podcast. So yeah, as I, um, as I mentioned at, at the start, um, I wasn't initially sure about uh, the two-tier premiership, um, to be honest, uh, after, well, not not because of like, what Lansdowne said on the Rabina Weekly podcast, but various people have started to say, you know what, 13-team ring fencing is is, is going to happen and the positives are at this gives finan- more financial security. Um and uh, yeah, there could be maybe a, a more attractive brand of rugby. But yeah, you made some really interesting points. Um, it's a it's a difficult one to give a verdict on because, uh, as you said, it's not really realistic now. Um, but that would be an easy way just to just to say no, I'm not having that. Um, so thinking about yeah, the points you made, 
um, particularly regarding player welfare and also ha- still having that promotion and relegation to cater for the likes of uh, Ealing Corn- and Cornish Pirates and, and other teams in the championship. I think, yeah, you need to give them, give them a light at the end of the tunnel, really. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say, seeing the light for your, uh, for your argument, Ollie. Get the it. Yeah, I don't think, it, sadly, I don't think it's realistic. Um, but still, I think it's a fantastic proposition. One that has far more to it than a 13-team ring fence competition, which would, yeah, just play to the stakeholders and, I don't know, be kind of like bowing down to them and be quite a negative move, I think. So it'd be great for, it would require funding. But to see teams like, yeah, Ealing, Coventry, Cornish Pirates, Nottingham, et cetera, to see them given the funds and the means to to take on some of the teams that would be that would be relegated into that second tier, I think that far outweighs um, any any of the uh, positive, well, reasons to go against your proposition. So yeah, well done, mate. Do you, uh, do you enjoy coming on today? Yeah, it was good, mate. It was good to uh, have a bit of a discussion about the sport we both love and a, a slightly different idea because... You know, as we said throughout, I think there's sort of a monopoly on ideas and there's only sort of two or three options, but let's have a more open debate about these things and, you know, let's not just go with the 13-team ring fence or stick to how it is. You know, there are other ideas out there. Uh, it'll be, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what is said in the coming weeks regarding the global calendar and how that could potentially impact the premiership, but time will tell. Um, so, yeah, well done, as, as, uh, as is the case on this podcast facts that you uh, you got seen the light it uh, means that if you want to come back on at a later date you are more than welcome to do so i know you're well you've mentioned you're, you're a fan of other sports i know you're a big you're a big cricket fan as well so it's entirely up to you what you want to discuss yeah i'd love to mate yeah yeah anytime good stuff um if people want to get more from you on uh, social media or twitter whatever um where can they find you uh at ollie lafrope o-l-i-l-a-t-h-r-o-p-e for some Rather poor content, actually. My Twitter's not great, but um, they can find out if I'm what I'm up to. Lovely stuff. Right, yeah, thanks for coming on, mate, and um, keep well. Yeah, cheers, mate. You too. Thanks for listening to the Not Having That podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. If you'd be interested in featuring on the podcast, email ryan at nothavingthatpod.com or reach us on Twitter at NHTPod with your unpopular opinion. So lie down, relax, and let the sports commence. <laughs>